Hallelujah. Is it good morning or is it good afternoon? Is it's good morning. I hope everybody's had a wonderful, wonderful week. I can see, I can tell by the glorious faces and the smiles that I see this morning. Look at the person next to you. They are the most beautiful creature that God made. And I just want you to tell them that this morning. And I want you to say it like you mean it. Because God means it. When he says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous is his work upon you. That your soul knows. There's just an assurance of knowing what God says about you. That it is true all around. You are the child of the king. You are the righteous one. You are the apple of his eye. I'm telling you, you may not feel like it, but you cannot change what the truth is. Say, I am the apple of his eyes. Oh, come on, say it with a smile. Like you know without a shadow of a doubt, I am the apple of his eyes. Amen? Amen. And so I have a word for you this morning that God has laid on my heart. And um, I believe this word came out of a conversation with um, someone. And we're going back and forth about this grace message and, you know. And I said to the person, I said, even I am learning every day that there's nobody that has gotten a corner on this grace message. But one thing I do know without a shadow of a doubt, I know my life when I followed the law. And I know my life now knowing the grace of God. There's so much difference in there. And that's why I know that it is real. And outside of that, I'm just convinced without a shadow of a doubt that the love of God for us trumps every other thing. Amen? So this morning, I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. Ephesians 1 verse 18. Ephesians. Okay, the projection team said I should always be patient with them. <laughs> the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Nine, 18, just stay in 18, 18 please. I just want to first deal with this first part of it. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Some translation will say the eyes of your understanding be opened. Some will say, TPT will say that the eyes of your imagination will be illuminated. And so the word I'm going to keep repeating this morning is going to be the word imagination. Please say with me, imagination. Imagination. How many of you know that when Paul prays about something, it will pretty much be something that is very relevant? Do you agree with me? In other words, if Paul prays about something, I want to believe that it's a big deal. Is that correct? And when he says that the highs of your understanding be enlightened, um, 
one of the conversations I was having with that person had to do with, you know, hearing from God and understanding the things that God is saying in grace and all of that. And I said to them, I said, um, one of the things that we go through many times is we hear something and we say, is it God or is it me? How many of you have ever been there before? Okay, it's just me. Okay. I'm preaching to myself only. Don't worry about any other person. This is just to me. You've ever heard something and you question, is it me or is this God? And it happens to every one of us. Amen? And many times this particular doubt that we have or confusion, if I'll put it, it holds us back many times from the confidence we have of hearing God consistently in our lives. Do you agree with me? You do agree with me. And, you know, sometimes we use this term. I, something goes through your mind. You say, it's just my imagination. How many of you have done that? It's just my imagination. And, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, something says to you, buy a blue dress. You're quick to buy it. And the same thing says to you, the brother next to you, why don't you just give them a hug? And you say, that's my imagination. And the truth is, it is your imagination. However, we have been told a different truth about what our imagination does with us. God speaks to you through your imagination. Are you following me? It is your imagination. Whenever anything occurs to you, it is your imagination. Paul said that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. In other words, that your imagination will be illuminated. Your imagination is an integral part of how you relate with God. Case in point, when God told Adam to name all the animals, do you think God gave it to his imagination or not? Talk to me. Was it his imagination? Because he would imagine this one is a cow, he named it, he named it a cow. Imagine this is a lion, he named it a lion. God has given us imagination pre-fall and even now in Christ. Hence Paul will say that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Amen? The, if the truth be said, many times our estimate of how God speaks to us, of the sum total of our life, is based on our imagination. And our imagination is formed as a result of our experiences. And our experiences, if it is not grounded in the word, is what dictates every other thing that we do. Let me give you an example. You have two friends that are going, and they see a dog. One sees a dog and immediately wants to take off. The other sees a dog and wants to touch the dog. What happened there and there is their imagination brought about an experience. The one that ran from the dog 
had an experience or maybe a dog beats the, maybe a dog beats the person. And so, whenever they see a dog, the picture that comes to their mind immediately is that this is danger. But the other one that knew, that knows a dog right from where, that bred a dog, played with a dog, the dog was a friend. When they see a dog, immediately, the thing that comes up within them is, let me touch the dog. Okay, you may not relate to that. As dog has beaten you. <laughs> okay, how many of you, a flower, the flower, a flower is beautiful. Well, for, for me, that, from, that is from Africa. I remember when I first had a baby here at Toyosi. My husband walked into the hospital room with a flower. And I was wondering, who in the world is this guy giving a flower to? What am I going to do with a flower? <laughs> you know. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, two friends again, they receive flower. One, the memory of going to a wedding and seeing arrays of flower brings about a beautiful memory of what that flower is all about. One just came from a funeral. And the imagination that came, the image that came, was burying a loved one. Two different experiences completely. However, all as a result of imagination. Are you following me? I'm, I, it's going to be more like a teaching and a preaching for me this morning because this is something that has really liberated me and I hope that I have enough articulation this morning to be able to relay the word of God to you. Amen? And so, for us as Christians, God definitely relays to us through our imagination because we are, we are told that we are three-part being. We have the spirit, we have a soul, and we have our what? The body. Amen. And for us many times, it is the changing inflection that affect our reaction to things that are all around us. Amen. So let me give you a case in point. You look at the scripture that says to, no, let me even go there first. Let me, let me lay down this groundwork very well. I'm dealing with imagination this morning. You go to the ATM. You check your balance. It's a... You have $500 in the account. You look at the bills that are before you. The total bills is about $3,840. You know you're way off the target. You do agree with me. Tell me the imagination that comes to you right away. Foreclosure. That's it. So you say to yourself immediately, I'm in trouble. So what happens is through that imagination, fear comes and worry immediately. And so if you're not careful, you begin to feed it because that is the image that the enemy has conjured immediately. You, 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 I mean, before even the banks tells you they are foreclosing, you already are foreclosing for yourself. You're already trying to figure out a way because fear all of a sudden took hold of your heart. Again, I'm talking about imagination. It is 
a place where you feed whatever it is that has been your experience. Case in point, look at this projection. This screen by itself is not the issue. Your imagination is not the issue. The, the screen by itself is fed by that computer over there. This screen can project a gory image or it can project something beautiful. Is that correct? All as a result of what is fed to that screen over there. The screen is not the issue. The issue is what is fed to the screen. So this screen, can, they can bring up pictures of things that will cause your mind to just get blown. What in the world? Or you can look at this screen and say, oh my God, they just projected something extremely beautiful. That is the story of man's imagination. The scripture said God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think according to what? The power that worketh what? In you. In other words, when the Bible says according to the power that worketh in you, there's a negative power and then there is a positive power. It just depends on which one at that point in time you have experienced and have allowed experience to condition you to project. I'm talking about imagination. It is what makes or breaks us many times. A person that goes to the doctor and the doctor says you don't have but a few months to live. Immediately, a screen comes up. Should I begin to write my will? Let me call my family together. But it's all as a result of what I am feeding this thing. Because there's a, way in, there's a place in which the doctor says to you and you immediately tell the doctor back. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There's a confidence that comes from you to face that particular situation. And the flip side of it is, if you're not careful, there's a fear that rises up and causes you to buckle in the midst of the situation. All is to do with your imagination and what you feed your imagination. Please go with me to Job chapter 33. Let me lay this point and then we're going to go to Judges chapter 6. Job chapter 33, please. Job 33, I'm going to read from verse 14. 14 to 18. It says, for God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, 
and his life from perishing by the sword. What the scripture is here saying is, this imagination that you have, there's a way in which God begins to speak to you. Either through vision, either through dream, either through when you're slumbering, even during the daytime, God is looking for a way to conjure up an image to you. And the reason why God is doing that is that so it may hold you back from the things that may destroy. How many of you know fear destroys? How many of you know that anxiety brings unhealthy issues in your life? Okay, so the scripture is now saying to you here, the reason why God wants the right projection in your life is so you don't cave to the things that he ordinarily has given you the victory for. In other words, God has given you victory over sickness. God has given you victory over the lies of the enemy. However, when the lies of the enemy comes, what is it that it faces in your life? And every one of these things has to do with your imagination. Go with me to Genesis chapter 24 verse 63. While we're there, I want to say this. Wherever you find yourself now, wherever you are as a, as a person, it's as a result of your imagination. Everything you have is imagination that made somebody invent iPhone. Is imagination that made somebody build this entire place that we're in. Is imagination that invented the shoe that you're wearing. Somebody imagined something. Are you following me? It is out of imagining that thing you and I benefit from it. And so the reverse is that God is saying that if the imagination that you have is in line with God, every other person benefits from you. Because nobody can benefit from fear. Have you ever been in a place, I remember sometime, a long time ago, I used to be afraid of the dark. And so one day we were coming and one of my friends knew where I was afraid of the dark. We were like six of us that were coming. And we entered into a building. And I don't know what crazy idea they got. I mean, it's, you know how boys do stuff. You, you expect that this is going to be a boy stuff. It's boys that would do that kind of thing. I mean, I mean I'm talking about girls. They just decided they were going to turn off the light. Oh, Jesus Christ. By the time I came out of that building, you would have thought they brought a sword and was about to cut off my neck. Because the scream in there with all of us girls that were in there. I mean, our, it was almost as if somebody was about choking me. Because we couldn't find our way around. I was scared of darkness. But I'm no longer scared of darkness. Just in case you want to know. It is no longer anything. I don't, I don't see anything. I am the light. <laughs> Amen. Genesis chapter 24 verse 63. It says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Isaiah 26 verse 3. Isaiah 26 verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because it trusts in you. Philippians 4.8. 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 Phil
Philippians 4, 8. While you're getting that ready, get ready, Psalm 442. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Amen? Psalm 44. Psalm 44. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Amen? Psalm 19 verse 14. And while you're getting that, the last one is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. While you're still getting to 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 15. Now, all of this scripture, what it's saying here is, it has to do with the mind of a person. What the scripture is saying here is, God is mostly interested in what's on your mind. Because what's on your mind determines your reaction or your responses. And whatever that is on your mind is fed as a result, again, of your experiences. And so, first, God wants to deal with the experiences so that these experiences may project the right image. So that in projecting the right image, God can get the response that God is looking for. Remember what I said. If you walk in boldness, it is contagious. The same time, fear is also contagious. If I display fear, everyone around me also may catch onto it. But if I display boldness, the Bible is saying that everyone around you also will see, will see that boldness in you and it becomes contagious to them. Amen. And so now here's a scripture saying about everything to do with your mind. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is the man. But what God is mostly interested in is what feeds the way the man thinks. Because if God can deal with what feeds the way I think, then every other thing would line up according to his will. That is the truth. That is why Paul will say that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Because once the eyes of your understanding is enlightened, you will see differently. You will react differently. Your responses are definitely going to be different. You know, the story that comes to my mind while you're still holding on Timothy here is the story of Gideon. And that's what I want to talk about as we wrap up this um, time of sharing. I want you to open with me to the book of Judges. Still hold on to Timothy. It's going to be probably the last scripture I use. Judges chapter 6. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. And the hand of the Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep 
nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they will enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I'm the Lord your God, do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11. Now, say with me now. I mean, normally I would think that now is an adverb of time. But in this case, it's used as a conjunction. Is that correct? So he's now saying, now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Ab. Abiezrite, right, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Let's hold it there. Now, many of us have done Gideon injustice by saying it's because he does not know who he is. It is because Gideon, he just did not trust the Lord. I mean, they called him mighty man and look at his response to all of this. But remember what I said, your imagination is as a result of your experiences. Now, if you and I, I mean, let's, let's, be, let's be lenient a little bit towards him. This guy is responding against this backdrop that we read from verse 1 almost to verse 10. That his entire life, what he has witnessed is that he will plant, the Midianites will take. He will try to eat, they will snatch from him. This guy will prepare, he's literally preparing a table for dinner and somebody else comes to eat his food. And while he's supposed to get fat, those ones are getting fat, he's getting lean. You need to understand where this guy is coming from. His experience has been that God has never been with them. And so when they came to him and said, Oh mighty man of valor, God is with you. The first question he asks is, How can you say God is with us? Because based on my experience, here is the image I have in my head. Here is what I've been carrying around. How can you give me something contrary to what I have as an image in my head? My image did not just come as a result of me just sitting down to think. It came as a result of an experience. And so we have to be considerate to understand that in Gideon's own case, his result is in the image on his head is as a result of what he's been through. And one of the things I like about that passage, God is not like you and I. 
You know how you go to somebody and say, God is with you. And they say, God is not with you. Are you okay? What do you mean God is not with you? I'm telling you God is with you. What's your problem? You know, you almost are going to be thinking, you're almost going to be defensive of it. But thank God that God is not like any one of us. What God does in order to change our experience, for our imagination of him to be a different one, it comes to our level. And so, he now started this process with Gideon. And so, we read the story of Gideon where God says, you mighty man of valor. You understand? Let's go now to the next verse, please. He says, then the Lord turned to him and said, notice God did not even address why is God not with us? I mean, why are you going to call me a mighty man of valor? Are you kidding me? Me that want to eat and run away from the Midianites. I'm telling you, I mean, you will see the story as we go. It says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Again, you're looking at the case where this guy has never experienced God in no category at all. The only thing he has experienced is the hand and the, hand and the oppression of the Midianites, period. So let's go to the next verse. And he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Is that true? Yes. Because he's talking from his experience. Verse 17, 16. And he said to, and the Lord said to him, Surely I would be with you. This is the third time again. Surely I would be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I mean, you and I look at it this way. You're talking about, the Bible says they are as numerous as locusts. And if you've ever seen the, a locust invasion, they come in mass. I mean, they, 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 they come in a way, I mean, I've seen it, I saw it on TV some time ago, and it, it didn't take them a minute to finish an entire farm. The thing just went, zoom, just like that. And so God is now saying to him, surely again I'll be with you. He says, then he said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. And this is where we say to Gideon, he does not have any ounce of trust in him. And you need to understand, God understood where Gideon was coming from. He didn't expect Gideon to have trust. But God was taking Gideon through a journey. Peradventure even for you. No matter where you find yourself. No matter what your experiences are, the goal of God is to turn that experience to a sweet one for you. So that the image you conjure up going forward will be that of the goodness of God. And does not have to do with the intimidating power of your circumstances. That is what the goal of God is wherever you are. Look at it. He said, do not depart from here. I pray until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, this is God answering him. I will wait until you come back. I mean, you may have gone on a life journey. You may be where you have never thought in your life you should be. I want to assure you, he is sitting and waiting. 
your circumstances does not intimidate him. He is the one that is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is, listen, I, I, I used to use the phrase, is turning around your mess to a message. I, I don't believe in that thing anymore. Because he doesn't see a mess. You may call it a mess. He doesn't call it a mess. And so, the names that we give things is as a result of our experiences or our understanding of what we are in. You call it a mess, he calls it an opportunity to show that he loves you. And so that's why the scripture says, he works all things together for your good. He didn't say he works all your mess together for your good. He said he works all things together for your good. I want you to know, God is in the business of you. Oh, come on. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't hear me. God is in the business of you. If he had to empty himself to get you as his address on earth, you are a big deal to him. Verse 19. He says, so Gideon went in and prepared. You know, he did all what he did. Move on to verse 20. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and your living bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth and he did so. Listen, all these things, the reason they are in the scripture is not just for the by and by. It is God explaining to you the journey that it took a man to get him to where God wants him to be. The same journey you are on, it is not in vain. Jesus paid a price for you to come to an experience. And whatever Jesus will do to give you that experience, he will do it. What I'm saying is, he has to deal with the foundation of your imagination. Now look at what he says here. Then the angel of the Lord put the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat. And the, move, Let's move on to verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Gideon is taking a step closer now. Understanding his experiences now is no longer dictating for Gideon. He's moving it gradually. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous man, they are ordered of the Lord. I want you to know your steps are ordered of the Lord. Every day is a journey. Every day is an experience. The path of the righteous is that the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. The Bible says, take heed unto the word that you have received. Like light that shines in darkness until the day dawns and the day star arises in your heart. What he's saying is, where your experience becomes the experience of Jesus. Where your experience becomes wrapped up in grace. Where your experience becomes completely immersed in grace. So that the imagination and the picture that you bring up all the time has to do with Jesus until you come to that place. That is why God is doing the work in your life. Now he has perceived. Verse 23. And the Lord said to him. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Verse 24. Now understand now that at this point Gideon is no longer responding. In the way he used to. 
Ordinarily, if it was from his experience, he would say, what do you mean? My uncle died. My auntie died. What do you mean I will not die? But look at what he's saying. Gideon now built an altar there and called it, the Lord is peace. Because he has encountered something and is moving forward. The imagination in his mind now, God is peace. So he now raised an altar and called it peace because he's now seeing God as peace. It's no longer surrounded by the sound of war, even though he can hear war, but there's an experience that he has now with God that has changed the way he's seeing the situation. So rather than see the situation as hostile, he's seeing the situation as peaceful. So he now said, God is peace. Verse 25. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull. There was an instruction for him to do something. Verse 26, because of time, I need to skip. And he built an altar again to the Lord on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and off. He went on, verse 27. So Gideon took 10 men from his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household, and the men of the city, too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Hear me. The reason why God did not now at this time tell Gideon, let's go to war, is because he knows there's still some things to take off of Gideon. So Gideon, I'm still with you in this process. Let's go. Now you know me as God of peace. It's okay. I want you to sit down on this experience. I want this experience to be what you juxtapose upon every other thing in your life. However, I know there's still some work to be done. The same thing with you. Do not discount the experiences that you have in God. They are all working together for your good. There's a reason why God has brought you thus far. It is not for him to kill you. It is for him to bring you to an expected end. So I am saying to you this afternoon, I don't care what it is that you're going through. It is already named already in God. God is already in that experience with you. I want you to know that. He says, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was an altar of Baal that was turned down and all that, yada, yada, yada. Verse 29. So they said to one another, who has done this? And of course they said it's Gideon. Verse 30. It says the men of the city now said that they should bring out Gideon basically to kill Gideon. Remember what God said to him. You will not die. Remember that word? You shall not die. Okay. So now let's look at verse 31. He said, but Joash said to all who stood against him. May God raise Joash's for you. <laughs> There's something about the word of God. It can never return to him empty. Without accomplishing that that God has sent. It is impossible for man to stand against the word of God. When God is about to turn something around in your life. There is no force in hell that can stand against it. Because whatever force in hell, Jesus paid the price already. When he said it is finished. I want you to know upon that he built the foundation of your life. That whatever lies the enemy may throw at you. You are already victorious because of Jesus. <laughs> he said, would you plead for Baal? <laughs> uh -uh. Because somebody's life that was at stake, because God has spoken a word, it's not possible. He said, would you save him? Let the one who will plead for him be put to death by morning. 
In other words, if Baal is a god, let him save himself. Why are you not going to kill Gideon? Gideon is just an ordinary person. And so, by the wisdom of God upon this man, the life of Gideon was spared. Now, understand, this is now another experience. So, here is now Gideon. He knows God as a God of peace. Now, he now knows God as a God that preserves life. So, now let's move to the next junction of his life. Verse 32. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubal. No, it's not that. Go to verse 33. Then all the Midianites and all the Amalekites people of East gathered together and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Now in this, he said, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abezrites gathered behind him. Verse 35. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Now, all of a sudden, this guy that was timid, everything has turned around for him now. This guy is now bold in God. He's now calling on others to join him. And the others are going to be asking him, why should I come to you? I want you to know because he's a God of peace. I want you to know he's a God that preserves life. That is the reason why you can evangelize. Because you have an experience of God and you can say to somebody I used to be like this or I experienced this but there is a God that saved me out of all my trouble there is a God that is with me that will never leave me nor forsake me there is a God that is on my side and if he is on my side there is nobody that can be against me so not to go through this story the same Gideon brought almost 32,000 army and God now told him to reduce this to 300 prof you know why he's no longer afraid because he has been through an experience and so he looked at no matter how enormous the other army is God just needs one person and so with confidence it's same guy now that will say this war is for the Lord and it's for Gideon this war is for the Lord and it's for Gideon. I'm saying to you, there's a greater thing in your life. That is why the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 17, I believe. He said, Elijah was a man with like passion like you. But Elijah had an experience. Elijah has an imagination that comes to his mind all the time. It is the reason why Elisha will say God will open the eyes of his servant. That he may see. Let an imagination come. Let him see the picture. Project something on the screen of his mind. That he may know that God saves what am I saying to you? In order to change these experiences, there are two things that must happen in your life. One is the word of God. Number two is an encounter with God. It's an encounter that Paul experienced in Galatians chapter 115, where he said that the God Almighty is the one that called him. I mean, What's the scripture again? Um, I'm trying to remember the scripture. Um, help me, Lord. Um, no. Um, Galatians. Just give me Galatians chapter 1 verse 15. It's in times like this, you want some scripture and they just don't come. Uh, verse 15. But when it pleased the Lord, who separated me from my mother's womb, to reveal Christ in me, 
Now, this Paul did not, he decided I'm not conferring with anyone because I have an experience that trumps every other experience. I'm saying to you, until there comes a place of encounter, an encounter comes as a deliberate and intentional effort on your part to stay on the word of God. You know why you need to stay on the word of God? Give me Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Quickly, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word, for the word of God is what? Living. In other words, Whatever deadness the experience may be, the Bible says the word of God is living. To change the foundation of your experience, you need the daily dose of the word of God. It is through that you know who you are. You know what he's done for you. So that when fear comes... It can be erased. The one thing you project on your screen will be the boldness and the confidence that you have in God. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 to 15, and we're going to be closing. How time flies. <laughs> ah, 1 Timothy, please, from verse 13. Till I come, give attention to what? Reading to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Why? That your progress may be evident to all. Genesis 24 verse 63, where you read, the Bible says, and Isaac went out in the evening to meditate. There's something about the word of God when you meditate on it. It begins to change. It begins to affect your experiences. The word of God now becomes sweet to you. You are like David that says your word is sweeter than honey and a honeycomb. In other words, your, the word of God is alive. It is not dead. It quickens. It brings to light anything that is eating. That is what the word does. So, how do you change your experiences? That changes your imagination. Or rather, that changes what you project on the screen of your imagination. Through the word. Through encounter with God. You need that encounter with God. That was why Paul said to Timothy, the prophecy you receive through the laying on of ends. In other words, there was a time, there was an encounter. He says, I want you to meditate on these things. God said to Joshua, this book of law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate upon it day and night. Just because we are under grace does not take away our responsibility of staying in the word. The word has to be our schoolmaster. The word has to be something you lean on. It is through that word the Holy Spirit begins to take them. And it begins to talk with you. And so whenever you now say to yourself, 
I'm imagining something. Yes, you are imagining it. The imagination is what God wants to work out. Imagine, I'm imagining myself to be a medical doctor. Can you imagine, doc? Why are you laughing, Pastor Abigail? Sankoyo said, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you now go to the grocery store, and God says, walk over to that woman and just pray. It is your imagination. God uses your imagination. Your imagination is not separate from you. It is something God gave you for a purpose. And it is to glorify him. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet this afternoon.